Before we get into the preach this morning, the, the, I don't know about you, but um, when, um, when I meet somebody I've not seen for a long time, the words that I dread is, oh, you've not changed very much, have you? Don't know if you do that, if you've heard, if people say that to you, well, you've not changed very much. I remember seeing a, meeting a, an, an older woman when I was younger, a lot younger, and um, she'd say, oh, you've not changed very much. And I think, I hope I have. I hope I've grown up a little bit. I hope I've matured a little bit. I hope, hope I've kind of developed from being a child, you know. Do you like that term, Samuel? Do people say that to you? When you see your auntie and they say, oh, Patrick, uh, Samuel, you've not changed very much. I remember you in that, that little and you've not changed very much. Does that happen to anybody else? No? It just happens to me. Well, it happens to me a lot. I think it's because I've had no hair since I was 21. So that's, that's, that's where it must be. Nobody can say, oh, your hair's changed, you look different. We're going to be talking about, this morning, change or lack of it. Okay, so before the screen goes up, is anybody able to spell immutability? Anybody like to have a crack at spelling immutability? Go on then, Graham. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> Anybody on, well, no, actually on Zoom, you won't be able to answer that question, but you could write it down and send it in on a postcard. There's no prizes. You're very, very close. No. I'd, I, might, I might have misheard you, but I let's put it on the screen and see. The immutability. I thought you said, ah. You were, you were absolutely right, Graham. Whatever it is you said, you were right. But there's no prize, okay? We are working through our, just to remind you, we're working through our statement of faith. And we've come to the passage in our statement of faith about the immutability of God. It's a theological term. Um, if you look into any systematic theology book, you'll find... Uh, a whole chapter on the immutability of God. And all that means is basically God is unchangeable. Okay, let's look at our um, vision statement, our statement of faith, sorry. And the statement in our, uh, the sentence is, God is unchangeable in his holiness, justice, wisdom, and love. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. God's inability to change. It's quite... There's a statement there. Some of you might have just reacted a little bit. God is incapable of change. I thought God could do anything. Well, let's look at what this passage, this uh, statement says. In Malachi, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, we read this. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Now, Again, if you're a young person here, my guess is, and I'm a parent, so I kind of get the other side of this, and I've been a child, so I certainly got the other side of it, and one day, something you do pleases your dad, and your dad goes, that's really fantastic, well done, brilliant, just what I wanted. And the next day, because he's had a bad day at work, you come home and you do the same thing, and suddenly you get shouted at. Does that happen? No? 
people change from day to day. And in our anger, as, we, as, we, as my circumstances have got bad and I've suddenly become very angry and suddenly I take it out on somebody else. This is what this passage is saying. God doesn't change and therefore his anger doesn't consume us. Because he's consistent in the way that he approaches us. As a parent, I know that I'm guilty sometimes of being inconsistent about how things happen. It's just the way I think I'm built. How many times I've had to say, sorry, I I didn't mean that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, I could have done that better. But in God, he says, I don't change, therefore you're not consumed. And then we read in James chapter 1, He says this, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. God is utterly consistent and he always gives us good gifts which come from the Father. And then we had that statement this morning, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. Those are just three scriptures, four or five scriptures there. All the way through the Old Testament, God often says, I do not change. I have not changed my mind. I am not doing something different. God does not change. It's because change, change has a number of things around it which are quite interesting. First of all, it has a point of time. I did do this, and now I've changed my mind, I'm doing this. For better, for for worse. If I'd only known, time is really important. And God sits outside of time. He created it. He's not subject to it the same way that we are. And in that, there's no sense in which there's a point of time where God decides to change his mind, his actions, his promises. He sits outside it and therefore he's not subject to that point of change. Change indicates for better or for worse. I changed my mind because something wasn't right or I need to adjust what I'm thinking. It means that something could have been improved or I made a mistake and I can do it better. Or it means that uh, something really is good And I could kind of do it even better if I wanted to by changing and adjusting little things. Now, we are human and we do that on a regular basis. Okay, now last week, Patrick referred to speeding offences. Okay, and I'm, put my hand up, I'm guilty. Okay, and I'm learning to adjust my speed to suit the actual signs that say 30 miles an hour. Okay? One of the good things of getting rid of my Jaguar was it was a really quick car. Now I've got a Kia, it's a bit easier. Okay? But I'm learning, I'm adjusting all the time. We all do it, we adjust. But God, the Bible says, is perfect. He doesn't need to adjust. He doesn't need to take new information and think, this could be better. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. 
Okay, he's not looking at Chris thinking, well, if I could have made him another three inches taller or if I could have given him black hair instead of grey hair or... Actually, do you know what? I'm really sorry you've got glasses. I could have made him better without glasses. But Gail thinks he's perfect anyway, don't you, Gail? Yes. Too late. <laughs> Too late. God does not make mistakes. We, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about creation and all the way through the creation story, and God saw it was good. He didn't make a mistake. Apart from Lancashire, which apparently... Ooh. Ooh. No, he didn't make any mistakes. God is perfect, and everything he does is perfect. And it was good, very good. So it's not possible for God to adjust his behavior, his promises, his words, his actions, on the basis that he could improve it. You got that? It's really important. It's really important when we start to think about how that affects us in our daily lives. And sometimes we change things because we've got new information. If only I'd known, I wouldn't have whatever it is. You've, you thought that to yourself, if I'd have known that, I would have done it differently. I've got the 60-year-old, and I look back on my life, and I think, if I'd have known then what I know now, I might have done it differently. But God's not like that. He's omniscient. There's another theological term. It means he knows everything. There's not another little bit of information that suddenly pops up onto his screen... And suddenly he can adjust because, oh, I didn't realize that he was going to do that. It's the story of the gospel. Jesus didn't come to die on a cross because God got caught out because Adam and Eve sinned. Do you, you get that? It's really important. God was not caught out by what ha happened in the Garden of Eden. From before the foundation of the earth, he knew what would happen, and he had foreknowledge and planned his plan of salvation as a result. It didn't catch him by surprise. There's no new information that's going to catch God by surprise. That's why when we pray, we pray to a God who already knows and understands. God is not caught out by the things that happen in our societies today. He's already seen it. He already knows it. He's already planned for it. He's already dealt with it. So when we talk about change, or God doesn't change, we must be careful that we don't think that God is like us, but that we should become more like him. God is not like us. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his actions. He doesn't change his words. He doesn't have all these new things like we do. We are meant to become more like him rather than trying to make God more like us. So, let's look at some of the things that God does that we need to grab hold of. First of all, his promises. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is Jesus. That is why it is through him 
we utter amen to God for his glory. Every single promise that's in the Bible finds its yes and amen in Jesus. There is not one promise that God has made that he will break or change because Jesus is the answer. Hebrews 6.18 says this, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge that we might have strength, strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What does that verse mean? It means God doesn't lie. Therefore, even though we have problems in life, we can put our trust completely in God's word. And where's his word? It's here. So through the Old Testament, many of the promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus when Jesus is born. If you look carefully over this next few weeks and months, uh, weeks as we approach Christmas, you'll find lots and lots of promises that are in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in Jesus, his birth, his virgin birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, everything is foretold beforehand, and God makes good on his promises. But there are still some in the Old Testament promises that are still to come. God made promises. Now, it's important we understand that God makes promises, and his guarantee of what's going to happen is Jesus. His guarantee Whatever God promised finds its yes and amen in Jesus. And so I can trust God for, first of all, basically, because everything he's promised so far seems to have come good. But because I'm human, I might go, well, you know what, actually, he said that and that has come true. But actually, he said this and I can't see it yet. Maybe it won't, maybe it will, maybe it should, maybe it could. Actually, I can trust God's promises because he sent Jesus to be God with us, Emmanuel, in the flesh. It finds its yes and amen at Jesus. Done. Finished. And therefore, any promise that God's made us in the Bible will come to pass because of Jesus. New Testament promises... When Paul talks about what's going to happen in the future, about Jesus' return, we can put our guarantee into it. We know it's going to happen because of Jesus. God makes promises to us and he will not change them or break them because he's true to his word. He won't make his, change his mind It's really important for me as an individual that despite my stupidity, despite my sin, despite my habits, despite my thoughts, despite everything that's around me, the reality is God will make his promises good in my life because of Jesus. End of. Despite. 
So when God is looking at me, he's not seeing my failure and my stupidity and my sin. Because I'm in Christ, he's seeing Jesus. And when God sees Jesus, his promise is yes and amen. And there's nothing I can do that will change his mind about me. And I've tried. And so have you. Nothing will change his mind. But some of us live with promises that we believe God's given us for our lives right now. Some of us maybe have things that God has whispered in your ear or you've read in the scriptures and you've applied it to yourself or maybe a friend came and prophesied over you and you're living with a promise that God's given you and you can't see it. Maybe it's about a child that you have and hasn't come to Jesus yet and you're holding on to a promise of God that God is going to save them. Or maybe it's something to do with your health. It could be hundreds of things. All of us live with some sort of promise in our lives of what God has said to us that we're holding on to. Some questions for you. Has that been affirmed from several sources? Is it in the Bible? Is it consistent with what's in the Bible? Because if it isn't, you need to think about that really carefully. Has it come from several other sources? Have you watered it with faith and prayer? Or are you just waiting for God to turn up? Well, God's promised it. He'll do it anyway. We need to water promises with faith and prayer. Maybe you're living with disappointment. I thought God would. I'm sure God would do that. And he didn't. My sister had a little child, Louise, and she had a very rare form of leukemia. And my dad, who was a Pentecostal pastor, was convinced that God was going to heal her. Absolutely convinced. And unfortunately, Louise died when she was seven, seven or eight. And my dad lived for many years afterwards with, God let me down. I, he said he would heal her and God let her down. And some of us live with that disappointment. Some of us live with that sense of loss because somehow God didn't turn up. I remember having a conversation with him about it and asking him, How, where, when did God say he was going to do that? It's a long story, I'm not going to go into it. But essentially, he, if we're not careful, we create promises around what we'd like God to do rather than what God has actually said he is going to do. And then we live with disappointment because God didn't, didn't match my image of what God should or shouldn't do. But God has given us promises and we do need to water them with faith and prayer and we do need to get in front of him and ask him 
I don't know if you, when you're praying, it's good to remind God of his promises. It happens in the Old Testament a lot. You said this. You said you would do this, God. Now, for the sake of your name, come and show up and do what you said you would do. It's not wrong to remind God of his promises. If you're living with disappointment this morning, or hurt, or sadness because God's not yet showing up, or it's just too long, well, try wandering around the desert for 40 years. It's just too long. God is unchangeable in his character. The three thing, four things we talked about is holiness, justice, wisdom, and love. Quickly, holiness, the otherness of God. God's holiness is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible to us. His infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is. It's God's holiness. And he can never change that. He will always be holy. He will always be unique, morally perfect, permanent, full of grace, full of truth, full of wisdom. That's what he'll be forever. And that's what he's always been. God will not change his character of holiness. And that's good news. That's good news because I'm not coming to a God who one day thinks it's great to do this and the next day it's great to do that. It's good news because he will always judge sin by his absolute standard of unique moral perfectness. Not by what I think is good or somebody else thinks is good. There will always be an absolute truth and God will always absolutely judge by that truth. He cannot, will not ever change. He has no rivals. He has no equals. He has no competition. He is unique, different and morally pure. He's righteous. And he comes to us with his righteousness in our sin to make us righteous. How do I know that? Because scripture says that Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's good news. Not so great if you're not in Jesus. As Patrick told us last week. But because I'm in Christ, fantastic. His justice, his standard of righteousness will never change. It flows out of his holiness and his standards never change. There's a great movement in Christianity at the moment to kind of move towards where society would like us to be in terms of righteousness and morality. Okay, and if we're not careful, we slide across it without realizing we've done it. And suddenly, what was unacceptable 30 years ago is now incredibly acceptable. 
But God's standards never change. And the problem that most people have with the Bible is, do you know what, it's really hard. It's really hard sometimes. God's standards are hard. God's way of living is really difficult. And people stumble over it because it's not what they think God should be like. So, you'll hear phrases like, well, my God wouldn't do that or expect that from me. Or my God would, would because he is a God of love, he would look at me and go, well, that's okay. That's all right. Because he loves me, he'll just go, there, there, don't worry about it. And then you read the Bible and suddenly you realize that actually there's a penalty for sin. It's called death. Really? But God loves me. He, he, he loves me so much. He's so nice and so cuddly and lovely. And God wouldn't do that. But there is a penalty. But the good news is it's been paid utterly and totally forever. And I don't have to pay that anymore. His standard never changes. You want to know how to live a morally pure life? Look at his standards. But I have a problem. And even as a Christian is, how do I live a morally pure life? Because from day to day, I struggle with the whole thing. And the truth is, I come to Jesus, I repent, I stand in Jesus' righteousness, and that is the only thing I can cling to. And the Holy Spirit in my life, day by day by day, makes me more and more like Jesus. The things that I did 40, 50 years ago, I don't do anymore. Thank goodness. So I'm judged by his standard, and then God gives me the answer to living by that standard. His wisdom, his understanding, and his application of his understanding, his ability to carry out the perfect plan, is just beyond measure. His wisdom is just amazing. His understanding. His, the way he applies that into our lives and into the world around us is just, just mind-blowing. God will not change his wisdom. He will not change in his understanding or his application of it. And again, that's good news for me. Because his wisdom is applied into my life in such a way that actually makes my life work for the best. Romans 8 tells us that. All things work together for good. All things. And when I'm struggling with my life because of health or family or I've had an argument with a next door neighbor or whatever it happens to be, myriad, there's... As many people as they're here, there's different problems, different issues that we all deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And the good news is 
that God has wisdom that I can apply into my daily life because God has set it all out for me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to try and come up with some new plan. God has a plan for my life and he's working it out on a day-to-day basis and he will see it to the end. He will see it to the end. Paul says, for I know that which I have committed to him against that great day, he will work it out. It's there for me. He has a perfect plan for my life. He's got a perfect plan for yours. And thank goodness they're not the same. He has a perfect plan for your life. And when you're in that circumstance where it's really hard, really difficult, and you're going, oh God, I wish you'd you'd take me out of this. I wish you'd take this thing away from me. And then I read about Jesus and he says to God, his father, would you please take this away from me? In the garden. But he knows God has a plan. And he knows God's wisdom and his understanding and his application, despite the cross, is the best thing for this world. And we must be careful sometimes not to ask God to take us out of our circumstances when God is actually dealing with us in our circumstances. And then finally, his love, John 3.16. The kids learned that last week. Did anybody? John 3.16, you all know John 3.16, surely. For God so loved the world. Any football match, any sporting arena, you'll now see John 3.16 somewhere on a banner. But it tells us about God's amazing love for us. And it never changes ever one of the biggest things I battle with as a Christian is um, when I'm struggling is well God mustn't love me because I'm struggling or um, because he didn't do what I wanted him to do God, God can't love me anymore now we have had foster kids through our house many foster kids, and one of the things you hear is a lot is um, when you say no, the foster child says, that means you don't love me. You can't love me. If you, if you don't give me what I want, you might not love me. Okay, now I'm sure none of our young people would say that to their parents. Said Samuel looking at his dad quickly. I'm sure I've said it to my parents. You don't love me anymore. You know, what I feel inside doesn't affect whether God loves me or not. What I do does not affect whether God loves me or not. Whether I sulk and throw a strop with God, as sometimes happens, does not affect whether God loves me or not. In fact, actually, one of the most comforting scriptures is God disciplines those that he loves. If God loves you, he's going to discipline you. That means sometimes, when I was a kid, clip around the ear, you can't do that anymore, apparently. Um, God, sometimes it's, God give me a boot at the pants. Sometimes it's God disciplining me, saying actually, it would be better if you did it this way rather than this way. 
Discipline isn't about punishment. Discipline is about... If you, if you look at the River Cocker, okay, the River Cocker and the Derwent, they've been disciplined by the banks. Okay, the banks discipline them. It tells them where to go and how to get there. And when we get too much rain, the river becomes undisciplined and it spills over. God's love's like that for us. He disciplines us by keeping us in the right way. Finally, God's actions. God's actions are always consistent with everything that's in Scripture, everything to do with His promises, everything to do with His character. God's actions are always consistent and do not change. He always acts in accordance to His Word. So, I had a friend once who got, got herself into a real problem. And her answer to that was, well, God wants me to be happy. The fact that what she was doing was wrong didn't seem to come into the equation other than God wants me to be happy. So I can do what I want because God wants me to be happy. And then suddenly got herself into all sorts of problems. God's not like that. God will always act in accordance to what's in his word. When Revelation 22 was finished, the last dot was put alongside, God consistently acts in the same way as he has always done through all the millennia. Consistent. It's because of his promises, his word, because of the things he said about himself, because of his character. God will not act in different ways other than that we can see consistent with what's in here. And that's good news. Because I know how God acts. I can see how he's going to do it. Now, sometimes the application of it might be slightly different. What God does for you, he doesn't necessarily do for me. But it is consistent with the way he reveals himself through everything that he's said so far. So, let's land. Why is this important? It's important that we understand God does not change. He's immutable because it helps us deal with our lives right now. It's important because of disappointment. I've already touched on it. God, sometimes we get really disappointed with God and everything he's doing. And we have to come back and repent and say, actually, God, you've never let me down. You've never let me down yet. You're never going to let me down in the future. You're consistent in your word to me. It's not that God's changed, it's sometimes that I've changed. We need to be understanding about God's consistency in our lives. Maybe it's because of fear. We get to a point where we're fearful to put up trust in God because what he says doesn't seem to line up with our experience. Actually, we need to line our experience up with what God says about himself. Children are coming back, that's absolutely fine. 
Maybe it's because maybe we need to respond and repent because we actually don't believe what God says about himself. Maybe we've put faith in the wrong person or the wrong things or we believe lies about ourselves that God has never said about us. So, God doesn't change. He never will change. He never will do something, say something other than what's already in his word. He's immutable. And this morning, the kids have been doing the same thing out in the, in the children's work. But we're going to respond with a song. And the question that I want to really ask you is, if you have got your place in your life and you're disappointed with God, or you're fearful of what God is doing, or you have unbelief in your life, or you've put your faith in the wrong things, the wrong person, this morning is an opportunity for us to pray with you and to pray in the promises of God, his character, his actions into our lives. And as we sing, didn't it? As we sing this morning, why don't you just in your heart now just think, where am I with the unchangeability of God? What do I really think inside? What promises has God given me that I need to breathe on and water? <laughs>